Good morning, Orchard Hills. How's everybody doing? Good. As you can see, I'm still a little cold. I told somebody I wouldn't, uh, I wouldn't wear this on stage, but the AC's cranking, so I'm cold. Um, anyways, my name's Sutton Word. I serve on staff here, and it's an honor to get to be with you today, um, to get to share the Word of God together. So, let me say from the beginning, if you um, are not a church person, if maybe you're not following Jesus yet, um, we are so glad that you're here. You are so welcome here. Um, but this message today uh, is, is not really for you. This is kind of an in-house message. This passage deals with issues within the church. And so uh, if that's not you, then you're free to just sit back and kind of watch other people squirm. Uh, so, so enjoy that today. Um, now, if you haven't been with us, we've been in the book of Romans for a while now. Um, and in the second half of the book, Paul is showing us what it looks like to live the Christian life, what it looks like to live a life that is surrendered to Jesus, a life that's been transformed by the gospel, a life that, that where you've gotten off the throne of your life and allowed Jesus to have his rightful place as king over your life. What does that life look like? That's what we've been talking about. And the primary way that we live that kind of a life is, is by living a life of love, a life of loving God and loving others. And Paul has been telling us to love everyone from our neighbors, the people who are closest to us, to our enemies, those people who we're trying to get far away from. And today, we're going to see him encourage us to love our brothers and sisters in Christ more than we love our own opinions. Maybe you're squirming a little bit now. Because that's, that's kind of challenging. So um, th- we're in Romans chapter 14. We're going to split this passage in two, even though it's kind of one whole argument. Uh, I'm focusing on the first 12 verses today. We're really going to look at the heart of things. And then Rick is going to take uh, next week and, and look at the more practical side of these matters. So um, this is on page 1124 of your church Bibles. If you don't have a Bible, we've got some that are just under the seats in front there. Um, Again, this is Romans 14, starting in verse 1. As for the one who is weak in faith, welcome him, but not to quarrel over opinions. One person believes he may eat anything, while the weak person eats only vegetables. Let not the one who eats despise the one who abstains, and let not the one who abstains pass judgment on the one who eats, for God has welcomed him. Who are you to pass judgment on the servant of another? It is before his own master that he stands or falls, and he will be upheld, for the Lord is able to make him stand. Would you pray with me? Lord Jesus, you are so good. We have sung about your goodness this morning. And so, Lord, as we come to your word, we uh, just want to offer ourselves to be changed by it, to be changed by you. Lord, if there's areas in our lives that we um, are are holding back from you, places that we need to go into a deeper surrender, Lord, would you call us there today in that gentle yet firm way that you do? Lord, thank you so much for who you are and for all that you do. We ask now that you'd work on our hearts through your word and through your spirit, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. All right, so for a little bit of context... Paul is writing to the church in Rome. Um, It's a church that he didn't start and he hasn't visited yet. So he's writing the letter as an introduction of himself. He gives this incredible 
a big summary of the gospel, who Jesus is and what he did. Um, and then now in this section, he is showing us how that good news calls us to live differently. Um, and in particular, in this passage, he's addressing these in-house issues that he's heard about at the church in Rome. So from what Paul is saying, there seem to be two different factions, two groups of people at this church who are disagreeing about some ceremonial laws and some customs, some practices that they have that have to do with what they eat or don't eat and, and what days they, they worship on. Um, and so this was likely, some, on the one hand, some Jewish Christians who had come out of Judaism, had, had realized that Jesus was the Messiah, and um, were still feeling like they needed to keep all of those old ceremonial laws, dietary restrictions, things like that. Um, and then, on the other hand, this church was made up of some Gentile Christians, people who were totally new uh, to who Jesus was, but ha had realized that he was Lord both of Jew and Gentile, um, and, and didn't have that Old Testament history, didn't feel compelled to go by all these old ceremonial laws about food and certain days to worship. And so, um, there are some who Paul terms the weak in faith, people who uh, their consciences did not allow them to, to be comfortable with letting go of some of those old practices. And then on the other side, the strong in faith, people who were comfortable in their freedom in Christ and didn't feel the need to, to practice these old customs. Um, and so, whoever each side was made up of exactly. These folks were disagreeing on church customs and practices, and they were guilty of despising one another and passing judgment on one another because of them. So, has anybody experienced this? <laughs> if you've been in church any amount of time, then you've probably butted heads with somebody. You've probably disagreed with somebody. Maybe they stepped on your toes. Maybe you had an opinion that they didn't like. Maybe you guys got in a little bit of a tussle and it's still unreconciled. Uh, but we all, I think, have had this experience. This happened to me um, in a particular situation that I'm going to share with you. Um, I was a happy-go-lucky teenager um, who had fallen in love with Jesus and was just enjoying the freedom that comes from following him. I um, had, had been leading worship at my church every so often um, and had gotten in the habit of leading worship with my shoes off. Um, now, I did this because I felt like it really helped me to be humble and um, just to kind of express that freedom that I felt like we should have in worship. Um, you know, maybe you think I was a hippie because of that. Maybe I still am a little bit. Um, but anyways, I was, I was leading worship, and I came off the stage one Sunday, and this woman uh, starts marching up to me with that look in her eye. I'm like, oh, man, <laughs> something's about to go down. Um, and she said, we know what you're trying to do here. And I was like, worship the Lord? I don't know. What, what are you talking about? But I didn't say anything. And she said it again. We know what you're trying to do here. But she never said what it was I was trying to do. I, I don't know, like start a rebellion, start a revolution. She, she never said. But she said, you take those shoes or you put those shoes back on right now, young man. I was like, just trying to be calm. And I said, ma'am, I'm not trying to be disrespectful. I'm so sorry. I just was trying to express some freedom and worship. And, you know, the Bible actually says that when Moses was before the Lord, he said uh, to take your shoes off because you're standing on holy ground. And she said, 
well, you're not Moses, are you? (laughs) And she spun around and she stomped off. (laughs) So that, that was a hard thing to take from an older uh, believer. But I put my shoes on and I didn't lead worship with my shoes off anymore. And I tried to respect and honor her. And I asked the Lord to help me not to despise her in my heart. Um, But situations like that can so easily lead us into places of anger and bitterness and frustration that we can't seem to let go of. So has this happened to you? Maybe there's somebody in church that you've disagreed with and in your heart you've already judged them and despised them and written them off. Maybe you said things like this. Man, did you see what she posted? What an idiot. Man, that guy is always doing that. I can't stand that. Can you believe that she actually thinks that? People are so clueless. Sound familiar? We do this stuff pretty often, more often than we would want to admit. But what does Paul say? In verse 1, he says, Welcome each other, but not to quarrel over opinions. And then in verse 3, he says, don't despise, don't pass judgment, because God has welcomed that person. God has welcomed them. And so notice what Paul's doing. He's not saying, hey, quit arguing and just pretend like you like each other. That's not what he's saying. He's not saying just tolerate each other, just just cover over it and get along and keep moving and forget that there was an issue. That's not what he's saying. He says, welcome one another. And so, friends, our our welcome has to go much deeper than the world's shallow tolerance. It has to go all the way to our hearts. The welcome that we are called to as the people of God, our unity must be nothing less than open-hearted welcome. That's what we're called to. And, y'all, this is a big deal. This is a really big deal. The world can yell and and fight and argue. That's fine. A broken and lost world is going to do broken and lost things. But to his disciples, Jesus says this, John 13, 34. He says, as I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you're my disciples if you love one another. And so, y'all, this is an issue of our witness This is an issue of of people knowing whether we're Jesus' disciples or not, an issue of people knowing whether Jesus is who he says he is. The world is crazy right now. The world's not going to fix itself and suddenly be more unified. It is the church's role. It's on us to bring unity, to lead the way in unity. And so we have got to love our brothers and sisters more than we love our own opinions. We have to choose love over opinions. So, why don't we? (laughs) What keeps us from welcoming one another? And what what keeps us stuck in these petty fights and arguments and and frustrations? And how can we move forward? Well, there's a lot of ways to answer that question, um, but we're going to stick to the passage. And so here we'll find, one, we need to know the difference between truth and opinion. Two, we need to know who we belong to. And three, We need to remember who the judge is. So we'll take them in that order. We'll start uh, back in verse 5 here. Again, page 1124 of your Bibles. 
So Paul writes, one person esteems one day as better than another, while another person esteems all days alike. Each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. So first, Paul says you need to know and be convinced of what it is you believe, why you do what you do. But now here's part of the problem. What Paul is talking about in this passage is opinions, issues of secondary concern, things that Christians can disagree over and still be Christians. Paul's not saying just live your truth and be confident in it. Believe whatever you want to believe just as long as it's confident. Go with that. That's not what he's talking about. But one of our problems today is that we don't know the difference. We don't know the difference between truth and opinion. And so we need to know the difference. In our our postmodern world, um, moral relativism is the name of the game. Everyone makes up their own morals. There's no absolute truth. Everybody makes their own rules. Um, we, We don't want to be uh, to figure out what to believe on our own. We just want our news stations to tell us what to believe instead of looking at God's word and seeing what God thinks, what is true, because he's revealed it to us in his word. And so rather than knowing what is a core gospel issue that Christians have to hang on to and what's an opinion that Christians can differ on, we get caught up in these heated arguments over secondary and tertiary issues that don't matter that don't matter as much as the gospel. And so how can we know the difference between these things? Well, I actually, <laughs> I've got a lot of thoughts on this. I almost wrote another sermon on it this week, um, but I will spare you that. Um, the short answer is that we need to know Jesus. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. He is the truth. And so when we know Jesus, we know what What matters most to his heart? What's at the core of who he is? And what's some secondary things that Christians can differ on? And when we know Jesus, he says that his spirit will guide us into all the truth in John 16. Um, And his spirit opens to us the word, helps us to understand what matters and doesn't matter, what's core to following Jesus, and what is a secondary issue. So we need to know Jesus. Um, Also, a simple and practical tool that we provide to you every week to to understand these things is the Apostles' Creed that we'll say here as we do communion in a few few moments. The Apostles' Creed is that core summary of what the gospel is. Those are issues we have to hang on to tightly. Those are things we can't have difference of opinion about. Another helpful tool is uh, this book I found this week. It's called Finding the Right Hills to Die On, The Case for Theological Triage. Um, And he's just saying that there are hills that are worth dying on, that we should die on, that we, we need to stand for the truth, but there's a lot of hills that aren't. And a lot of us are wasting a lot of time dying on hills that we don't need to be dying on. So we need to know what we believe. We need to know what to hold tightly and what we can hold loosely. And we need to hold all of it with love, with love. And in particular, what Paul is saying to hold loosely here, these opinions or or even convictions on secondary matters, Paul is saying that we must welcome our brothers and sisters over those things. We must choose love over our opinions. Second thing, we need to know who we belong to. Let's pick up in verse 7. It says, the one who observes the day, observes it in honor of the Lord. The one who eats, eats in honor of the Lord, since he gives thanks to God. 
while the one who abstains abstains in honor of the Lord and gives thanks to God. For none of us lives to himself, and none of us dies to himself. For if we live, we live to the Lord, and if we die, we die to the Lord. So then, whether we live or die, we are the Lord's. For to this end, Christ died and lived again, that he might be Lord, both of the dead and the living. So here, Paul is saying that when you become a Christian, when you are born again to this whole new way of life, this new spiritual life, that you give up all your rights to yourself. You're God's. You don't belong to you anymore. And that's actually really good news because you never really belonged to yourself in the first place. The Bible makes it really clear that either you belong to God or you belong to Satan. And that to think that you're in charge, to live selfishly, to live for yourself, is just to play right into the enemy's agenda. And so now, as someone who's been changed by the good news, you don't belong to the enemy, and you don't belong to you. You belong to Jesus. And now everything that you do can be for his glory. From your, your eating, to your drinking, to your waking, to your sleeping, to your playing, to your working, every single thing you do can be done with thanks, giving glory to Jesus. Everything you do can be directed to him. Your whole life can look like Jesus is king. You can do everything for him. That's what you were made for. And when you're doing everything with thanks for the honor and glory of God, you know what you're not doing? You're not getting into arguments over silly things. You're not shouting at others, trying to assert your own opinions. You're humble and you're willing to listen to different viewpoints. You value the unity of God's people more than you value your own styles and preferences. You choose love over opinions. Number three, we need to remember who the judge is. Verse 10, why do you pass judgment on your brother? Or you, why do you despise your brother? For we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. For it is written, as I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me and every tongue confess to God. So then each of us will give an account of himself to God. So here's Paul's third piece of reasoning here for choosing love over our opinions. There is a judge of people's actions and motives, and none of us are him. None of us are him. There will be a day of judgment. <clears throat> That's not something we, we talk about very much, is it? There will be a day when each of us gives an account of himself to God. But do you know who you won't be giving an account of on that day? Everybody else. You'll be giving an account of yourself to God. And so this, this does a couple of things for us. First, it reminds us that we aren't the judge of other people. They will have to answer for their actions before God, but they will not have to answer for their actions before you. Do remember, though, that this, we're, we're talking about secondary issues. This doesn't mean that we don't 
uh, speak the truth, that we don't hold each other accountable, that we don't um, challenge each other to live in line with what we believe. The Bible talks about um, a, a kind of judgment happening within the church where, where we hold each other accountable. Um, but none of that should ever happen with a judgmental heart. And all of that, whether, whether we're um, fighting for some truth or doctrine that matters, or whether we're laying down our opinions to love each other, all of that should come from a place of realizing that we are not the judge. We're not the one with the final say. We don't know people's hearts. God does, and he is the judge. And then second, this reminds us that we will all have to give an account for the way that we lived our lives. And you know what the Lord is going to be more interested in on that day than your opinions? How you loved people. How you loved people. He's probably not going to ask you who you voted for. He's probably not going to ask you uh, your preference for the color of the carpet in the sanctuary. He's probably not going to ask you what method of hand-raising you prefer or your stance on tattoos or piercings. But as Scott reminded us a few weeks ago, what Jesus will be paying attention to on that day is how you loved the least of these. How you loved the least of these. God is the judge, and he's made clear in his word what matters most, loving him and loving people. Now, I'd like to finish here today by going back uh, to verse 4. And here, I think, is one of the most deep-seated reasons that we despise and pass judgment on each other, on our brothers and sisters, and instead choose our opinions over love. And that's this. Rather than being justified by Jesus, we're trying to justify ourselves. You see, I believe that a huge part of the reason why we fight and, and war against each other and wrestle over these issues and get all worked up and anxious and frustrated is because we desperately want to be on the right side of the issues. We want so badly to be the good guy. We want so deeply to justify ourselves by our right thinking or our right actions or our, our right stances on different things. And the reality is that underneath all that pride and anxiousness and frustration is we're really just insecure. We're pretty insecure. But the good news that I have to offer you today, friend, is that Jesus offers security. Jesus offers security. Paul says in verse 3 that God has welcomed us. He's welcomed us. And then in verse 4, who are you to pass judgment on the servant of another? It is before his own master that he stands or falls, and he will be upheld for the Lord is able to make him stand. Notice what Paul is saying here. The only reason that any of us can stand or fall before the Lord is because the Lord is able to make us stand. Not ourselves, not anyone else, but the Lord. The Lord alone. And you know what? If you're in Christ, if you've been, been born again to this new life, then he already has enabled you to stand before him on that day. Friends, too often we are clinging so tightly to our opinions, 
on secondary issues because we think that being on, by being on the right side of things and by having all the answers, then we'll be acceptable to God. But that's not how it works. That's not how it works. We are accepted by God only because of what Jesus has done. He took the fall so that we might stand before God on that day, holy and blameless and free from sin, not because of what we've done, but because of what Jesus did. And that's why Paul can say earlier in Romans in chapter 8, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. But maybe you're thinking, hey, Paul just said we're going to stand before God and give an account, right? Absolutely. The Bible says that multiple times. But the good news is that if you are in Christ, then the debt that your sin owes has already been paid in full. Paid in full. And that day of judgment will not be a day where you or God are surprised at the outcome. Either you belong to Jesus or you don't. You don't have to wait until then to find out. But for Christians, that day of judgment will actually be a day of reward. Over and over, the Bible talks about the rewards that come for those who live for Jesus. And so even though we'll have already received the greatest reward of life with God and with his people forever, we'll still be given some more or less of some other rewards in the new heaven and new earth based on how we lived for Jesus in this life. And so on the one hand, if you're in him, then you are totally secure. Your future is certain. You don't have to worry. You don't have to justify yourself by having the right opinions. But on the other hand, our actions do still matter. We will give account to God. Our actions matter deeply and eternally. But our actions won't be what get us in the door on that day. Jesus will. And he is able to make you stand. So church, I say all that to say, let's stop trying to justify ourselves by our own opinions on secondary issues, on style or preference. Jesus alone is the one who justifies. And if he has welcomed us in our broken and sin-sick state, then surely we can welcome others. Surely we can forgive. Surely we can open our hearts up to welcome one another. So let's disagree. Let's disagree on the, the secondary issues. That's okay, but let's do it with gentleness and with kindness. Let's know what to hold tightly to and what we can hold loosely. Let's remember who we belong to, and let's remember who the judge actually is. And let's lay down our pride and our insecurity and remember the only reason that any of us are welcomed to the table, welcomed into the kingdom, is because of God's grace through Jesus Christ. Let's choose love over our opinions. Let's pray. Well, Lord Jesus, I pray right now if there is, um, yeah, if there's anything in my heart or any of the hearts of people who are listening, any kind of uh, 
ways that we have judged or despised our brothers and sisters. Lord, would you forgive us? And Lord, would you give us the courage to, to go to them, to not stop at just asking your forgiveness, but to go and ask theirs, to apologize, maybe even to say to a brother or sister, you hurt me. That stung. I want to forgive you. Lord, for every one of your people here today, would you um, just show us what you need to show us right now? And Lord, today for anyone um, who doesn't know you, who hasn't experienced uh, the, the joy of being justified by you and welcomed to your table, Lord, would you uh, work in their hearts even now um, to show them that they can never justify themselves? That is an impossible matter. But they can be justified by you. It's a free gift to be received by faith. So Lord, do what only you can do in our hearts now as we pray, as we think on these things. Lord, we love you and we give you all praise. In Jesus' name, amen.